The medical information communicated in this podcast is of a general educational nature. If you are feeling unwell, please seek the attention of a medical practitioner. Any advertisements promoted throughout the podcast are not endorsed by the presenter or any of the guests interviewed. Hi there, welcome to MediTalk, a medical podcast talking all things medical in a way that you can understand. You're with Danae. Did you know that men are at greatest risk of suicide but are less likely to ask for help? According to the Black Dog Institute, an estimated 72% of men will not seek help for a mental health disorder. So why are our brothers, dads, sons, uncles, nephews, mates suffering in silence from mental health conditions and not feeling comfortable to seek help when they need it the most? Today on MediTalk I speak with John Marginus, who is a counselling psychology registrar practising privately at Clear Health Psychology and is a psychologist at Scotch College in Perth. John is a great advocate for boys and men's mental health and works alongside them through challenging times in their life. Tell us a little bit about yourself and also I hear that you've been nominated for an Australian Men's Health Forum Award. That sounds exciting. Yes, yeah, so um, so I'm a psychologist. I'm a counselling psychology registrar at the moment, so I'm doing an endorsement program um, through APRA. Um, I've been a psychologist for about seven or eight years now and I've always sort of had a very keen interest in working with um, boys and men. Um, and I guess you, you mentioned that award that I've been nominated yeah. for. And that's sort of in, in some ways in recognition, this uh, Australian Men's Health Forum is, is looking at uh, a range of health professionals who uh, work specifically with boys and men and or speak at conferences as well and raise that awareness about the importance of boys and male mental health. Um, so I was, I was quite surprised, but I was... Uh, very honoured to find out that I was I was nominated for for that award um, for the work that I do working with boys and men. What is the current state of men's health and boys' mental health in Australia at the moment? Yeah, so I guess when we look at uh, sort of the statistics and and when we look at um, things to do like when we look at the Black Dog Institute and we look at Beyond Blue, um, it's it's in some ways it's getting better, but the statistics still aren't great. Um, we know that evidence indicates that men are far less likely to seek help for mental health conditions than women. We know that one in eight men will experience depression and one in five men will experience anxiety at some stage in their in their lives. And I guess that's what's been reported. And for me, when it comes to sort of statistics around men self-reporting, I kn- we know that there's that stigma attached. So there's, there's possibility that there's even more men experiencing this. Um, when we start to even look at things like suicide as well, we know that males make up an average of six out of every eight suicides every single day in Australia. Um, and every day in Australia, seven men die by suicide. And in the age from 15 to 44 years of age, suicide is the leading cause of death. It's um, that's so sad, and it's so good that people like yourself are really devoting so much of your time in practice and in the work that you do, caring for boys and men's mental health. And so, what do you think the key issues are as a psychologist that you see in your practice, as well as in your um, role working at Scotch? Well, I think just if we look at men, just in general, I think there is a huge sense of, I guess, pressure that boys and men feel. And I think it's regardless of if it's in a uh, any kind of setting, especially even when we look at 
the research at Western and Eastern cultures as well, regardless of the culture or regardless of the country someone's in, we see that generally that men experience or what we call a, a level of pressure. And we can sort of tie that to the stigma and the stereotype of what it means to be a, mo- a boy or what it means to be a male. Um, we know that when we look at sort of why men or, you know, the, the mental health issues that they're coming in with, we see that there's depression, there's anxiety, there's suicidal thoughts. Um, and I guess when we look at that as a whole, to me an underlying factor is the pressure that they feel that they put on themselves but as well as what in some ways society or those stereotypes are of what it actually means to be a boy or what it actually means to be a man. How would you define mental wellness and when people are mentally well? I think mental wellness, I guess from my sort of understanding or what I think mental wellness is, doesn't necessarily mean when things are actually going really well. It doesn't mean when you're feeling like you're you're sort of kicking goals or anything like that. I think it's the ability to actually understand and actually um, self-check in. So when you have the ability to actually notice what's going on in yourself, so if things are going well, that's obviously really awesome and you're feeling great, that's good. But I think it's also just to actually be able to recognise when things might not actually be going well for you and not actually ignoring it. I think that's really the true, in my view, the true definition of mental wellness. And so what would be those self-reflection things that that men or boys could say, I, I'm just not feeling myself, I'm not, I'm not well? I think part of it would be if they notice that there's a change in their mood or, or their, their behaviour, if other people have highlighted those as well. So if their friends or their family are sort of highlighting to them that there has actually been a change, I think it's important that the person, if you know, hopefully they can also acknowledge that as well and actually reflect on why that change may be instead of just sort of trying to, in, in some ways we hear the terminology, you know, like man up or just carry on. Um, it's actually being able to be like, okay, what's actually going on for me? Why why are people saying this or why am I actually feeling like this or why am I not my usual self? And then what do you think stops men or boys from reaching out? So if they were um, sort of having those self-reflection moments or thinking, I'm actually not feeling good and I haven't been feeling good for some time. What do you think those main barriers are to seeking help? Uh, I actually think there's there's quite a few and I think part of it is a systemic issue as well. So how to actually access the psychological help. We know that there are ads. We know that you can go to your GP. We know that you can sort of Google, you know, psychologists in my area or whatever it might, may be. But I think it's also how men are taught or spoken to about sort of their mental health. So I guess when people think, you know, what does it actually mean to go see a psychologist, there's still that stigma attached to seeing a psychologist. It's greatly changed and I'm, I'm really happy that it has changed and you can and I can see sort of working with different generations um, of children and teenagers, adolescents and adults that it is actually changing. But I think it actually means of what does it actually mean to come in and see a psychologist? Um, we look at the stereotypical language that I mentioned as well before, and we look at the Western and Eastern cultures as well of, of that stigma attached of, of being a man too. So I think part of it is then there needs to be a bit of that education around what it actually means to see a psychologist, what it's actually like to see a psychologist as well, um, and sort of really looking at changing the way in some ways that we raise boys and we speak to boys about what it actually means to be a man. Um, 
and, and sort of really looking at that language of, you know, you need to hold it together, you, you need to man up. I think they're some of the huge barriers I think a lot of boys and men uh, suffer from. And part of that is, yes, it's due to that stigma and that stereotype of what it actually means to be a man. And then how can we break these barriers down? Because, I'm, I mean, I was just thinking as you were speaking about, you know, we, we watch the movies and you'll see, uh, you know, someone going and seeing a psychologist and it's that real, you go into an office, mm. you sit down. <laughs> and I think they'd be um, so relieved when, um, when they come and see someone like you and, you know, I've heard about your consults sometimes ending up on the basketball yep. court. <laughs> Um, and I think, you know, that really does, um, it's it's having people like yourself really breaking down those barriers by having, why not have a consult on a, on a basketball court and, you know, start chatting while shooting some hoops or. Yeah. And I guess part of it as well is it's what the, um, what the person or what the client actually feels comfortable with as well. Yeah. So there are those, you know, there's stereotypes, what we see in the movies and, and to some degree that is true. You know, there's usually couches and chairs involved <laughs> um, and talking, but I guess the other part of it as well is that we know with men and we know with boys as well, some boys and some men and even some some females for that matter, they actually don't do well sitting across from someone and talking. It can sometimes feel quite invasive. And I guess part of it is, is how do we, what we call um, a, psych a psychologist, how do we build that rapport? We want to make sure that we're doing really good clinical work to ensure that it's actually evidence-based and productive and it's productive for the person we're seeing. But I guess when we're working, well, my view is when I'm working with uh, a young man or when I'm working with a boy, giving them the option of, hey, do you want to actually go outside, shoot some hoops? Do you want to actually go kick a footy whilst talking? So it's not just it's not just play. Yeah, there is some work in there yeah. as well. Um, and actually giving them that option as well and doing a bit of a combine. So shooting some hoops, talking, and then actually going back into the office and sitting, you know, across from each other or, or seats that are positioned almost next to each other and actually talking about what's been going on or what was actually raised when we were outside um, because it helps build build rapport. You know, it also, it also means that it's not that very clinical setting of what they see in the movies and what they think it is um, because most of the time we know that we need to have a really good rapport. If we want someone to talk, we want someone to open up and we want someone to be honest, we know that we need to sort of really work on that therapeutic relationship. And I guess other ways as well that um, we're, we're already sort of breaking those barriers is there are a range of foundations such as the Kai Erdley Foundation and Tomorrow Man as well who are going in and they're speaking to schools or they're raising money to speak to organisations about suicide, about mental health, specifically with, with men. So Tomorrow Man talks about what it actually means to be a man. Um, we know that schools, and I'm lucky that the school that I work in, run a range of programs from, you know, as early as three years of age on feelings and emotions and, se and self-regulation. Um, and, you know, there are, there are many different ways, I guess, of how we can get that out there and the barriers are being broken down. But I think the language that we use to talk about men, emotions, um, therapy or, or seeing a psychologist and, I guess, education around that is really critical. Now, talk about you have to be able to name an emotion to deal with an emotion, you know, and, and sometimes we our vocab around our emotional language is quite limited. Even myself, when people ask, how are you going? And, you know, most of us just answer, well, good. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
But you you realise there's such a range of words of how mm. we can describe emotions, and is that what you're meaning when you're talking about language and emotional language? Yeah, I think it's important as well. And I use the sort of the terminology or the or sort of a bit of a, a saying is you you've got to name it to tame it. Yes, you know you know there's something going on. You know you have those bodily sensations going on in your body when you're feeling tense or you're feeling angry or you're feeling sad. Um, and I guess part of it is that we know that young men in some ways are more resistant to actually name it because it's if I admit that I'm feeling sad or I'm feeling in some ways upset or in some ways whatever language they want to use about it, it sort of means like, okay, I've, I've admitted it now, it's out there. And I guess part of it is is that actually calling it for what it is and naming it builds strength and character. Like we look at you know, men really want to be strong and we, we see the unhealthy version of that, but it's actually what does it actually mean to be strong and how can we actually best assist you? So sometimes it is naming it to taming it. And part of it is as a, psycholo- as a psychologist, it's about sort of saying, okay, when is it the right time to actually get the young man or the boy to actually to sort of actually say what that emotion is because we don't necessarily want it to always be or therapy to always be about emotions because I think that will drive some of you know, some people are white, but it is an important and critical part that we do actually need to name it, to tame it and to sort of work with it. So when we're talking about the suicide rates particularly, why are so many men suffering in silence and and we're not getting to them in time, do you think? I think part of it is that, and I I know I've spoken about stigma Mm. um, and stereotypes, I think it's because for a lot of men and a lot of, in some ways, a lot of people, it's pushing it down or in some ways not acknowledging it because they feel that they can't. And part of it is is that when we even look from when uh, a child, a, a young boy is born, usually when the language is used is you've had a strong baby boy or, you know, it says a strong baby boy. And I think it's okay to use the word strong, but it's about what does strong actually mean. So there's that part of it as well. But it's also about acknowledging the fact that you know, sometimes when things aren't going well in life, it's important to talk to them about it. And if you don't feel comfortable talking to someone in your immediate circle, that's okay. But there are a range of people that you can talk to. And I guess when we look at who these people and who these young men can talk to, sometimes they don't actually know or they actually don't feel where can I actually find these resources or where's the education part, which is why I actually see education as being such an important part in actually breaking down um, and reducing that number of when we're talking about men who engage in suicide because we don't want it to be in a sense where they feel that's their only option and that if they talk about it, there's shame in talking about it. We want them to know that there are a range of different options, that there are people that they can speak to and it can be done in a range of different ways. It can be counselling face-to-face, it can be on the phone, it can be online. Um, there are so many different options. Yeah, we're so lucky now, aren't we? And um, as you say, so many psychologists are, are doing telehealth appointments now, phone, video. You've got all the helplines now as well, which are fantastic. Um, so, yeah, there's just so many ways to seek help, but yet um, we we still got a lot of work to do, mm, don't we? Yes. <laughs> and then I was only listening to an amazing um, podcast uh and it was actually a, a doctor who had committed suicide, and mm. um, and in life, it, 
on the surface, it appeared he had the perfect job. His parents were actually psychiatrists. He, you know, was had this perfect family life, professional life, and yet he sadly committed suicide. Why do you think it, you know, and I think there, it's just so tragic to hear. And what's underlining that? Mm. I think each, in some ways, there are each um, situation is is different. But I think usually when we sort of, I guess, when I think about sort of that situation um, or when I think of situations similar to that, um, because I don't know the necessarily no. ins and outs of that specific one, I think for a lot of people it's how will it look, especially if it's in if you're working in a certain field, how will it look to actually go speak to someone if I am in some ways, you know, if I'm a psychologist or, or if I work in there, how will it actually look? And I think in some ways it's actually important um, and, and we work on that stigma even within the health industry or we work in the what we call those the high flyers or in those professions where um, people are seen to be sort of medical or specialists or experts that even in that area and that sphere that we still encourage that those people actually go speak to someone. I think it's important as well because it actually helps demystify and break down what seeing a psychologist is or speaking to your GP about it is if we know that people within those certain health professions are actually going in and speaking to people too. Absolutely. So how can we all play our part to advocate and really be there for our, our and support boys and men to seek help? Uh, I think it can start from really at any point, but I guess if we look from starting from a young age, it's really around how we talk to our, our boys. And I sort of go up almost through like ages in some ways. So it's about how we actually speak to our boys and how, how we actually raise them and talk to them. We want them to know that, you know, it's, you know, it's in many ways, it's good to be strong and, and we're not s steering away from what it means to be masculine. But we're also sort of looking at that sense that, you know, it's good to check in as parents, as, you know, peers, as, as other, as friends to actually see how we're going. Um, and it can be something simple as like a text. It can be something as chatting when you catch up with someone or having that sort of that quiet, discreet word as well, because we understand that um, not everyone feels obviously super comfortable speaking about it. But it's about almost just checking in and actually being there for each other. We know that many people like hanging out with their friends, they like spending time together as a family, but in some ways we're not looking for those superficial conversations. We need to encourage people to have in some ways a bit of a deeper conversation as well, such as, you know, I've just actually been thinking about, you know, how you've been and I just wanted to really just check in and see how things are going and even if you get that response of, yeah, everything's all good or everything's fine, it's about just sort of also saying to them, look, if anything ever does change or if you ever do want to talk about something as a friend or as a peer or as a colleague, like, please always feel free. So it's actually naming it and actually saying it as well, which opens that up because we know that sometimes people need to be invited to actually talk about how they feel. They're not going to just na naturally just open up and say, this is how I'm feeling, this is what's going on. They need to actually feel safe that it's a safe environment that they actually can. And I think the Are You OK campaign is wonderful, but it's how do you work past that one question? Mm. And are we really prepared? No, sometimes I think, is it because we worry that if someone was to answer, no, I'm not OK, mm. that people then think, well, how do I deal with that? I, yeah. don't, I don't know. I'm not a professional because I think that's what everyday people think. Oh, well, if they say no, well, well then yeah. what do I do? 
And I think the main thing is, and I, I know that are you okay? I know they're doing a lot of work in this in this field as well. Is that when you ask that question, it's to check in. It's not necessarily to try help solve whatever's going on for that person. And I guess in the conversations that I have with people about when it comes to around to are you okay day, I naturally hope as well that people do keep checking in as well. But part of it is is that sometimes it's just to be there for that person and also saying to them, what do you actually need from me in this moment? And if it's, you know, something that they feel that is outside of their scope or that they actually can't help because they're not, a, a, you know, a mental health professional or specialised in that area, it's actually about sort of saying to that person is, do you know what, I'm here for you, I will check in with you, but I'm actually not an expert in this area, but let me actually help you find someone who can help in this sort of situation or this area. And it's about being with that person through that process. So searching for a psychologist or, or encouraging them to speak to their GP, checking in on them as well, but also naturally respecting as well to some degree as well, depending on what the issue is, is that for them, they're like, this is how I'm feeling right now. It's not great. I'm okay, but I'm not amazing, but I don't actually want anything done about it. So it's about being like, that's completely cool. I respect that. Um, I'm going to check in again with you in a couple of weeks or in a week's time to see how you're going. And then part of that is having that conversation around about, you know, look, if it is an ongoing thing, look, I think we actually might need to get some help from someone who it's their profession to actually help. And I'm happy to help you with that. Yeah. And then what about if, you know, there's probably parents going to listen to this episode and they've got a, a teen that's not really communicating with them and every time they sort of ask how are they, mm. they're sort of getting fine. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that grunt in the car, yeah. That's right. Or maybe not anything verbal apart from a grunt or a, a, a shut of a door. How do they continue? You know, how would you as a psychologist sort of um, have you got some tips for those mm. parents? Yeah, definitely. I think for a lot of parents the frustration is I ask my son how his day at school's been or I ask how he is and he says good or he grunts at me or he rolls his eyes at me and I don't know what to do. Um, and we know that there is a hormonal change. We know that boys develop as, as do girls and they go through teenagers where their relationship with their friends are really important and they actually go to their friends more than their parents. That's okay but I guess part of it is is actually having a conversation with your son or, or with the young man that you're around, if you're not necessarily a parent, if you're an uncle or something like that, and actually trying to build a relationship outside of, in some ways, that disciplinary side. So obviously parents always have to have that disciplinary side to them. That's part of being a parent. But I guess part of it is actually actively trying to show an interest. We know that parents are busier than ever. We know that lots of parents are working. We know that some parents have more than one job. But it's actually about finding that time of where you actually say to your son, do you know what, from this time to this time, we're actually just going to have a chat and I want to know what your interests are, if it's, you know, in regards to sport, how sport's going, how's footy going, how's basketball, how's soccer going, what position are you playing, how are you actually feeling about that position, what games are you playing, if they're online gaming, what games are you playing. Part of it is also not to sort of tell them how they should be playing in some ways. It's not to be their coach or not to be their, their mentor. It's actually just to listen and to gain a better understanding of what their son or what the young man's actually interested in. Because we know that if people feel that there's that genuine interest, they are more likely to then open up about things when things aren't going well. Do you think we need to also take credit that just the fact of listening is as powerful as talking? Absolutely. I think for a lot of 
parents, regardless of their mums or dads, or a lot of people that are close with young people, they feel the need to fix. And by that I mean when the young person does open up and say, this is what's going on for me, even if they voluntarily say it, it's not always the parent's role to just try fix it. Part of it is actually sitting with it and actually sometimes acknowledging that, you know, this is actually a really crap situation and I'm sorry that you're going through it, but what can we try to do? Like, what do you think or what do you need from me? And part of it is also just listening too. So even in that what do you need from me is a little bit of that fixing still. Part of it is also hearing what that young person needs and wants and sometimes it's actually just to have someone hear them. And then what about men? So, you know, if someone's got a mate that they know is feeling down, maybe not talking about it, how do you have those conversations with your mate mm. and you get through to try and get through to 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 a man who's might be going through stuff at work or yeah. going through a separation and they're just not wanting to talk about it or not used to talking about it. What are some ways we can sort of get through? I guess part of it is um, firstly like acknowledging if there is that elephant in the room, like such as if something has happened, if we know that maybe work's not going well for them or that there's been a end of a relationship or something like that you know, the, the the friend is likely to know already. And part of it is to actually use that time when you actually catch up with them as a bit of a check-in and just say, look, like, mate, how are you actually going? Um, I know that, you know, this is happening, this at work's happening, or I know that your relationship has ended. Um, like, how, how are you? And part of it would be that sometimes you get that comment of, you know, how do you think it's going? Or I don't want to talk, really, I don't want to talk about it. And then it's actually been quite respectful in that in that moment saying, do you know what, mate, I actually understand that and I can appreciate that you don't want to talk about it. Um, I have noticed that there's been a bit of a change in you but I want you to know that I'm actually here and I'm going to check in with you as well and that's when that friend can actively make that decision to check in again in a week's time or just to even send a text even after it and just say, you know, hey, man, like I'm actually really honest in what we spoke about today. Please know that you can come talk to me and sometimes that might be met with a thank you or it might be met with a no reply Um I think it's it's really good in some ways that young men are actually getting better at it and they're feeling more comfortable with it. So hopefully this stigma actually, you know, it actually we grow out of it in some ways. But I think part of it is just that reinforcement that that you're there. But it's also respecting those boundaries. So if the person doesn't actually want to speak about it, just them knowing that you're there is heaps in itself because it's showing that you care. We've talked a lot about talking mm. and obviously talking our feelings must be helpful to us. Mm. Why is it so powerful? I think part of it is, 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 like I said earlier, it's about, you know, naming it and taming it. If it's out there, it's scary in some ways, but it's actually out there. So it's actually demystified in that sense. And we know that if we actually talk about things and we actually process things and we work through it, it's actually better for us than it rattling around in our head. And by rattling around in our head, I mean when it's if you're not talking about it with someone, you're just usually going around and around and around in your head and in some ways you're actually not getting any clarity on it because you're in some ways just stewing on it or you're just focus, focusing on it constantly yourself and you're not actually getting any other sort of insight from someone else. And that doesn't even mean, I'm not necessarily saying just you know a psychologist, I'm just saying another person, a friend, a colleague, a peer, just to run through it with them. And so do you think sometimes men might think, I just don't like talking, so why would I go and see a psychologist? Are there other things, it's probably a great question to ask you, if you're, how do we 
Uh, are there other ways that um, that strategies that psychologists use to sort of ease people into talking more? Yeah, so I guess part of it is um, so when we look at as as a psychologist, part of it is is um, when when meeting with the person, it's about sort of just finding out like who they actually are as a person, and that's how I actually start all my sessions. I work predominantly with males and men, but even when I do see some female clients as well, it's actually about like today is actually about getting to know who you are, and in some ways, you finding out like how I work and who I am, because if it's right, right, come on in, let's just sort of deal with the issue per se. There's going to be barriers left, right, and centre. Um, it's actually about sort of being like you know. What do you actually like? What are your hobbies? What are the things in life that are actually going well? What are the things that aren't going well? You know, some some people that you speak to in a therapeutic sense, they're ready and raring to go. But for other people, there's that hesitance because I think this person's going to analyse me. Yes. They're, they're, they're going to be inside my head. And I guess part of it is, yes, we're going to talk through stuff and no, we can't read your mind or anything like that. But it's about actually getting to know the person and actually finding what the best strategy or what the best ways are to support them. And I guess when we look at men and when we look at boys, even from like a mate or a friendship perspective, sometimes men are just like, I actually don't want to talk about it or I feel worse talking about it. And part of it is, is that for a period of time, that's how they may feel and hopefully they, they do want to open up eventually. But it's also about being with that person or actually being like, okay, well, you've identified or we know that you're going through a bit of a rough time. What do you actually want to do for fun? Like, what do you want to do to actually get your mind off it? If it's not talk about it, that's cool. I respect that. What do you want to do? Do you want to go to the footy? Do you want to kick the footy? Do you want a game? Do you want to, you know, do you want to go to the park? Like, what do you actually want to get up to? What are ways then to that you recommend to ben, boys and men to, to keep mentally well? Mm. So, you know, we've talked a lot about um, – that they would come and see a psychologist or – and I also want to talk about is there benefit also the fact that they might they might say, I don't want to talk to my mum and dad about it or I don't want to talk mm. to my mate about it, that they're actually going to someone that's not a relative, that's not a friend, that's not a mate and that in yeah. itself is of benefit? Yeah, I think um, seeing, you know, a psychologist or a counsellor or, or checking in with your GP, seeing someone outside of your immediate circle is probably important because – as I said, like as a psychologist, I do try to get to know the client and, and sort of what their life's been like till till that point. But I don't know the ins and outs of sort of their family and their dynamic and things like that. And I guess when you talk to a family member, or when you talk to a friend, obviously that's very important and something that people should keep doing. But I guess that family member or that person, they have their own views, beliefs about that person and possibly about a certain situation. And sometimes it's good to actually just have someone completely removed from that who doesn't know or doesn't have a mutual friend or a family member so they don't have their own biases and beliefs. It's someone who's completely removed whose sole purpose is to help, in this case, the client or the person that's come to see them work through how they're feeling or, or their situation or their mood to change or to, to help bring on positive change. And then when you were talking about ways that sometimes if they don't want to talk about it and they need something to make them feel good, mm. what are those sort of recommendations of um, what are ways that boys and men can keep mentally well? Yeah, I guess I sort of associate um, being mentally well and, and physically healthy linked. Um, I know not everyone is super sporty or enjoys physical activity, which is okay, but it's actually about even doing small things such as throughout your day, dedicating time for where you do something just for you. Even if it's something as small as going to get a coffee, 
or after work or after school, doing something that you like. So if it is something like sport, doing that. If it's going to the gym, working out. If it's actually just chatting to a mate, that if it's actually gaming, you know, we don't want people to be gaming too much, but we don't want people to be playing too much sport. It's the same kind of situation. It's about doing good, fun things or hobbies in moderation so that they do get that that time as well to be mentally well or, or mentally healthy. And is there hormonal changes when we do do those things so it's actually good for our brain? Yeah, definitely. So we know that um, there can be a release of in endorphins and we see that parts of um, the brain when we sort of do, you know, when we look at the research, we see that different parts of the brains light up per se and that people do feel happier and in some ways better about themselves or their perception on an actual event or situation can actually change. We know that if they do something that they like or they find enjoyable, enjoyable that can actually can at times feel more resilient or more on top of the situation than if they didn't. And sometimes it's actually hard to do something that you like when you're not feeling great because you can be in a sort of a state or a slump of what's the point, I don't really feel like doing it. But that's why in some ways it's good if, if a friend or, or someone does know or a family member does know because they can be like, okay, mate, let's go, let's go do something. Let's go and actually in some ways if you don't want to talk about it, that's okay. Let's actually go do something fun like what do you want to do? And do you think also social media and we have this myth of being happy. We have to be yeah. happy all the time rather than be on a spectrum of emotions or yeah. a spectrum of different... What, what's your thoughts on that? So m my thoughts on that is yes, and I think social media's got many benefits, but I guess one of its downsides is that we know that a lot of people are, you know, they're showing us what I say, their best life or their perception of their best life. They're showing when things are going really, really, really well. And I guess when people start to compare themselves to what they're seeing on social media, that can kind of be the downfall. Part of it is, is that things are going well in your own life. It doesn't mean you need to show it on social media. If you really want to, you can, that's okay. But it's also about fully acknowledging what social media it is. It's a platform, it's used for marketing, we know it's used for advertising and usually when it comes to advertising, we're trying to sell, people are trying to sell something. So we know that if the person's looking happy and confident, that's out there. And I guess when people are sharing things, they want to also share like good news, so engagements, weddings, births of children or if something's really happy happened or they're on holiday. But I guess the other part of it is for people to also remind themselves that that's a section of someone's life. That's a highlight in some ways of someone's life and that's okay to share it but it also doesn't mean that that's their life every moment of every day. So do you think we all should really um, be much more mindful that at the end of the day that having low days or down days mm -hmm. is just a part of life. Yeah. We're human beings. It's yeah, part it's, of the human it's, it's experience. It's completely normal to feel a range of emotions. It's completely normal to feel sad or down from time to time. That's okay. And I guess part of it is, is yes, there is uh, society's expectations that we should be happy, we should be feeling bouncy and, 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 and energetic. But I guess the other part is, is that naturally we're going to have some days where we don't feel great. We feel sad or we feel upset or we feel angry. And I guess part of it is is sometimes we're going to have those days and we're not going to want to speak to someone, but it's more problematic if those days sort of roll on one after the other, after the other sorry, and there isn't a change or there isn't a break in that cycle. And then if they are like that and experiencing those days in succession, then what would your advice be? Go and speak to their GP? Yeah, I think part of it is, is you know, people have options because, you know, 
some people sometimes don't want to speak to their GP, yes. especially if it's a family friend. Um, part of it is, you know, it can you can go directly to a psychologist, you can go to your GP, you can even just check in with a friend and sort of say, look, this is how I've actually been feeling, hasn't been great, but I'm not really sure what to do. And it's about talking to someone if, if they're in a good space as well, they can be like, okay, well, man, like, let's actually talk through this, like, what what do you think would be helpful? But I guess if you do if you do feel that you for you know one or two weeks and you feel that there's that cycle of sadness or misery um, or you're feeling down, part of it, it is is important to actually check in with a mental health professional because we don't want that cycle to keep going, and we know that um, in some ways the longer it goes on for the harder it is to sort of come out of that, but it's still important regardless of where you are and how long you've been feeling that way to seek um, some help in that area. And then if you're a parent or you're a bloke listening to this, what are some good online free resources that you've sometimes recommended to parents or to to, to blokes that you see in your practice to have a, have a read or listen to? Yeah, so... Um, Tomorrow Man is a good organisation which does have some resources. The Australian Men's Health Forum as well, which we spoke about at the start of um, this podcast, has a range of free resources. Uh, the Black Dog Institute as well, Beyond Blue, um, Men's Line, all have a range of really good resources or places to go for if you're feeling not quite yourself or there's been a, a, a downward trend in some ways of your emotions where you're feeling sad or you're feeling angry all the time but you maybe don't even feel confident right now to even talk to a friend about it because there's still that issue as well some people don't want to talk to people that they immediately know it's about that there are, are online platforms there are resources there are groups that actually have spe specific tailored information for boys and men so in all your years of practice um, and seeing men and boys, are there sort of stories of someone that you can share or um, where we can really show people that or demonstrate when you've got that reluctant client that, you know, a, a, a teenager that just doesn't want to be here, mum or dad's brought them in or maybe a, a bloke that's come in because the wife's had enough, yeah. um, that's really then didn't want to talk and then come out the other side? Yeah, I think um, part of it is, is, you know, for, for many boys and teenagers it is changing and for men as well it is changing. But there are definitely some where they come in and they're kind of like, I'm here because my, my missus or my wife's asked me to come, my partner's asked me to come or my parents have told me I have to come. And part of it is actually sort of saying, well, you've actually done the hardest part, you're actually here. Um so in some ways we, we can tick that off, but it's about what you actually want to, to get from this. Apart from having your parents or, or your partner off your back, you've actually still come through the door. You're physically able to leave at any point in time, but you're actually here. So that's really important. That's the hardest part. It's done. But let's actually see what are some things that we can actually work together on. It's not about fixing. It's not about um, altering someone. It's about what can you actually get from this experience. And it's about my role as the psychologist to to walk through that, in some ways, that journey with the man or with the boy about, okay, we're here. Um, what can we actually take from this and what might be of benefit for you actually coming in today? And can they learn strategies as well? Absolutely. So part of it can also be how they communicate with those, in some ways, with those people who've made them come in. Yes. Um, as well as speaking to them about confidentiality. So 
part of seeing a psychologist is that it is confidential. You know, there are times where you'd have to break that confidentiality if they're, you know, serious risk to themselves or, or somebody else. But other than that, it is confidential. So just because, you know, someone's made them come in, it doesn't mean that that person who's made them come in per se is going to hear about what's been said. And I would imagine too that they might think, well, they just don't understand me. And I suppose it's about working with people like yourself in this area, professionals, that to work on strategies so they can be heard, they can be acknowledged, because perhaps mm. that's part of the barrier. Yeah, sometimes it is. You know, if if they feel that the person just doesn't get them or doesn't hear them, if the if they are open to having that, if, if you know, if we're thinking about a teenager and, and their parents, you know, they just don't get me. Part of it is if they give you that consent and they're open to having that person come into the room, that certain parent. It's about working with them together on that. And do you do that? Absolutely. Um, because a lot of the time it is a communication issue. You know, sometimes it is parenting style or the expectation from the young person. But it's also about there's got to be something in the middle. There's got to be some in some ways, some room for negotiation where it's, you know, it's obviously we're, we're considering the child's safety or the teenager's safety, but there's, there's got to be some level of negotiation in that relationship. And have you seen people that you've counselled as adolescents and they're now men and how that has significantly changed sort of how they communicate and how they interact with others moving forward as, a, mm. as they grow up? Well, I think one of the, the really beneficial and in some ways rewarding thing is is when you see that change, even when they're speaking within their session or when they're talking about communication that they've had with someone later on in, in life or when they say, you know, I'm feeling a lot happier or, or my depression or my anxiety is reduced. And it's like, why do you think that is? Or why, why do you think that's happened? And a lot of the time it's it's... I, in some ways, am helping them steer the vessel, but they are the vessel. It's it's not me. It's not another psychologist. They're in charge of their own life and they're making those those changes and they're open to those strategies. And part of that's acknowledging it. And I think it's awesome when they can acknowledge that within themselves as well mm, and that great. positive change. I think that's, yeah, that's kind of what the work's about. What can we do to make a difference to breaking down the barrier and, and, and getting our boys and men mentally well? Mm. I think part of it is, um, you know, we know that through a range of different cultures, we know that men and boys are constantly exposed to the words such as harden up, toughen up, man up, you know, grow a pair. Um, and I think we know that it is through most, most cultures and we know that um, the way society views masculinity uh, in many ways can actually be quite toxic. Um, and I think part of it is actually talking to boys about what it actually means to be a real boy or to be a man, that it's okay to show emotions, that you can cry if you feel upset, if you are angry, it's okay to be angry. It's not about bottling it up because how will it look or you need to be tough. It's about sort of challenging these notions and moving away from these really uh, unhealthy connotations as well as, you know, parents as well speaking to their to their young boys from a young age about checking in with them and keeping that quite regular throughout their years of adolescence. Even when they are being moody or they feel that they're being um, unreasonable, it's about sort of still talking to them, keeping that communication open. And, I, and I'm hoping for that as those young boys and adults, those men um, grow and continue on in their journey into manhood, they do that one day if they become fathers with their own children or with the, the boys around them. So it's really stopping that cycle. Yeah. So we all take responsibility of 
when we find ourselves saying those things to stop saying them. Um, But also what about for men and boys who, as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, that do bottle up that anger and then Mm. they're taking it out physically. Mm. How can we, how do we sort of change that? Yeah, I guess in some ways when they're taking it out physically, we want to in some ways, even the smallest intervention possible is actually taking that out physically but in a healthy way. So, you know, we want them to still verbally talk about it but I guess we don't want them to be physically, you know, the word I use is brawling or fighting with each other. It's about, you know, getting that energy out in a healthy way and that's when I sort of come back to sport and I know sport's not everyone's sort of forte or going to the gym or something like that where there can be that physical release of energy in a very healthy manner. And is that a real masculine uh, that you find with, with boys and men as well, is that having that physical outlet is very important? Yeah, I think it is. I think that physical outlet is important because we know that, you know, men in some ways, boys and girls are wired differently. Um, Part of that is society, but it's also biologically as well. But I think for really anyone, it's okay to have that physical outlet if you feel that you need it and you feel better after. It's about having that physical outlet. It's obviously really beneficial to keep talking or to start talking as well. But there's absolutely nothing wrong with going to the gym or playing some contact sport in a healthy way to get that excess energy out. And if you don't have a physical outlet because that's not maybe Mm. not your way of expressing yourself Mm. then it can be other ways finding i suppose working with a psych to even find those ways finding like what your thing is i guess in some ways because we like i said we don't want it just to be sport 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 we know that that's not for everyone but it's about okay how do we actually get this out in a healthy way you know some people game we we don't obviously want people to be gaming too much because we know that's not that's not beneficial but if someone's hobby is to game from time to time that's okay if it's that they actually just want to read for some people although that's not a physical out there they're just having some time where they can almost escape and just go into a novel or just to read something where they have that downtime Perfect. Well, thank you so much for today. Is there anything else you wanted to add that you think is really important that we should talk about? I think it's just really important to to reiterate that, you know, to talk or, or to see a psychologist, it doesn't mean that you're not masculine or, you, or you're, not a, you're not a true man. It's about really sort of saying, you know, in some ways, how can I get the best out of myself or how can I actually start to live my life more positively or healthy in a more healthy manner where I'm actually feeling best in myself or, or better in myself and around others. Um, so it's really still, yeah, like what we mentioned before about sort of really challenging that stereotype of what it means to be masculine or what it means to be a man into a more healthy sense. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time today, John. My absolute pleasure. A big thank you to John for sharing his knowledge with us today on Meditalk and continuing to advocate for such an important mental health cause. And please, if this interview has brought up feelings for you, reach out for support from Lifeline 131114 or Men's Line Australia 1300 78 9978 or please speak with your GP. To learn more about John, visit clearhealthpsychology.com If you feel this podcast episode can help a friend or a family member, please share as sharing knowledge empowers our lives and the lives of others. 
If you've enjoyed this podcast, please take a minute to write a quick review on Apple Podcasts. To listen to more episodes of Meditalk, visit meditalk.com.au and if you have any medical conditions you would like to learn more about, please send me an email via danae at meditalk.com.au. Stay well and thank you for listening.